Section 16 of The Ocean, A General Account of the Science of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ocean, A General Account of the Science of the Sea, by John Murray. Life in the Ocean, Animals, Part 2. Benthos. Passing from pelagic to benthonic animals, it seems to be the general rule that the greatest profusion of bottom-living animals is to be found in coastal waters, and that they gradually decrease in abundance on proceeding further and further from land into deeper and deeper water, until a minimum, but not a zero, is reached in the red clay areas of the abyssal plain. Distance from a continental shore seems to be, as a rule, a more important factor in the distribution of the benthonic animals than actual depths, for halls at similar depths less than 300 miles from land gave more individuals and species than were obtained in halls beyond 300 miles from land, except perhaps in the Great Southern Ocean, where, because of icebergs, continental conditions are pushed far north of the Antarctic continent. The greatest variety of animal life is probably to be met with in the shallow waters of the tropical regions, especially in the neighbourhood of continental land and of coral reefs, but though the aggregate number of species may be less in temperate and polar coast waters than in tropical waters, this is counterbalanced by the extraordinary abundance of individuals in the cold waters towards the poles. Littoral and shallow water benthos. In considering the marine fauna of coastal regions, it is usual to subdivide the area into zones according to the physical conditions and the materials covering the bottom. Thus, in northern waters we may recognise a littoral zone extending from high water mark down to about 20 fathoms, and a sublittoral or shallow water zone from about 20 fathoms down to about 100 fathoms. Beyond the 100 fathoms, we approach deep sea conditions, the temperature and salinity becoming more and more uniform, and the currents less marked while the fauna at the same time becomes more and more uniform and more widely distributed, both horizontally and vertically. The littoral zone is subdivided, according to the bottom conditions, into areas and belts in different localities, such as the low tide area, barnacle belt, fucoid belt, laminarian belt, zosteran belt, hard bottom, sandy bottom, muddy bottom, each characterised by its own peculiar assemblage of fishes and invertebrate animals. On the bare rock, for instance, we find barnacles, mussels, limpets and periwinkles. On the seaweeds, we find attached forms like sponges, hydroids, bryzoans, serpolids, actinians, ascidians, along with caprolids, pycnogonids, nudibranchs, worms, starfishes and brittle stars. On the sandy bottom, we find burrowing forms like mussels, asterids, spatangids, worms, crustaceans, lancelets, and sand eels. On the hard bottom, we find attached and non-attached forms like sponges, bryzoans, hydroids, corals, gorgonids, alcyonarians, ascidians, chitons, and other mollusks, brachiopods, crustaceans, brittle stars, starfishes, echinids, crinoids, holothurians, and worms. On the muddy bottom, we find principally burrowing forms, including rhizopods, mussels, scaphopods, penatulids, holothurians, crustaceans, 
actinians, worms, and sponges. In the shallow water zone, we find holothurians, starfishes, brittle stars, worms, brachiopods, mussels, and other mollusks, crustaceans, corals, gorgonids, actinians, echinids, hydroids, bryzoans, ascidians, and sponges. Just where the fine detrital matter from the land and shallow water come to rest on the seafloor, a great feeding ground exists, where crustaceans and other animals pick up the small particles of organic matter there settling on the bottom. This is called the mud line, and on shores facing the great oceans, its average depth is about a hundred fathoms. This links on to a sort of artificial bottom in the open ocean, where a marked change in viscosity occurs, and a consequent change in the rate of fall of particles of organic detritus. See chapter 8, page 138. Benthos of the Continental Slope The fauna living on the continental slopes beyond 100 fathoms is sometimes called the archibenthal fauna, but there is no clearly defined boundary between the archibenthal and abyssal areas. This archibenthal fauna in the North Atlantic is characterized by sea urchins of the family Echinothuridae with flexible leather-like shells, and other echinids, crinoids, starfishes, brittle stars, holothurians, actinians, penatulids, free corals, alcyonarians, crustaceans, worms, mollusks, brachiopods, and sponges. The fish fauna living on the continental slope of the eastern Atlantic was found during the Michael Sars expedition to be very uniform all the way from the Faroe Islands to south of the Canaries, six species being common to these northern and southern localities. Mora Mora, for example. Thus differing from the fish fauna of the continental shelf, the species of which are much more limited in their distribution. The great economic fisheries of northern Europe are limited to the continental shelf and continental slope, and the causes which lead to the fluctuations in these fisheries have been the subject of many recent investigations, especially by the Norwegians. There are indications that, in some years, the occurrence of abundant food at the time of the hatching of the eggs leads to a great development in the quantity and quality of the fish for a certain year, and the fish of that particular year dominate the character of the catches over a long series of years. It is probable that the animal assemblages in tropical regions, as in northern waters, are distributed in somewhat similar zones of depth. Deep Sea Benthos we have stated that plants can only function within the photic zone, but still their dead remains, falling through the intermediate waters to the bottom, may, on the way down and on the bottom, furnish food for animals. It has been pointed out that a great change in the physical conditions, such as temperature, viscosity, penetration of light, takes place, especially in the tropics, at about 400 or 500 fathoms, and here many of these falling particles may be retarded in their descent and may furnish, at that level, a rich feeding ground for bathypelagic animals, a kind of artificial bottom, or extension of the mud line of the continental slopes. In the cold waters of the deep sea, decomposition and putrefaction are slow processes, so that in the dead bodies of organisms there is still food for the scavengers, like holothurians, which eat the mud and in turn provide nourishment for the deep sea carnivores. Many characteristic deep-sea forms have long stalks, lifting the bodies of the animals out of the mud, like some crinoids, panatulids, alcyonarians, 
hydroids and bryzoans. Others, like the pycnogonids and crustaceans, have long legs, and others have well-developed tactile organs like some crustaceans and fishes. Most of these forms are delicate in structure, but of gigantic size when compared to their shallow water allies. Those species which require calcium carbonate to form their skeleton, like the mollusks and corals, are feebly developed in the abyssal region. A selection of benthonic calcareous foraminifera is shown on plate 10. Phosphorescent light evidently plays an important role in deep sea life. Silenterates, like the Alcyonarians, have frequently been brought up from great depths in a light-giving condition. The colouring of deep-sea animals, mostly red and brown monotones without any patches of vivid colours, is doubtless correlated with the faint gleams of phosphorescent light. It is probable that the animals giving out phosphorescent light are not evenly distributed throughout the deep sea, but are more or less localised, and may be more abundant in some localities than in others while certain regions may be utterly devoid of light, but this does not account for the great variation in the development of the eyes in deep-sea forms, in some of which the eyes are very large, while in others the eyes are small or altogether wanting. Sometimes in the same hall of the trawl, creatures with large eyes are brought up along with others that are totally blind. It has been stated that the action of the digestive enzymes is retarded at low temperatures, and this action must therefore be very slow in the deep sea, so that the food requirements of deep sea animals are less than those of more active animals living in the warmer waters of the ocean. The colonising of the deep sea seems to have been affected by successive migrations from the shallower reaches of the ocean, especially from the region of the mud line, where it is supposed that the simplest forms of life originally appeared in pre-Cambrian times but apparently more frequently from cold regions than from warm regions. If there were once a nearly universal warm climate over the whole ocean, we cannot but suppose that the deep sea would be unfavourable for animal life owing to the want of circulation and atmospheric oxygen. But it is probable that the same or nearly allied species of benthonic animals were almost everywhere present in the shallow water zones. When cooling at the poles set in, those animals with pelagic larvae would be killed out or be forced to migrate towards the warmer tropics. By being able to limit the reproductive process in the summer season, some of these organisms with free-swimming larvae have been able to live on in temperate regions. But in the tropical and coral reef regions, we have the remnants of a once universally distributed shallow water fauna. With the disappearance of this shallow water fauna from the polar regions, its place will be occupied by the organisms from the deeper mud line, very few of which have pelagic larvae. In this way, we may account for the similarity between the polar marine faunas and floras, the great abundance of individuals, and the relatively few species in the polar areas when compared with the tropical area, as well as the greater likeness of the shallow water polar animals to deep sea species. From another point of view, we might suppose, rather, cold water to be universal, the polar forms to be widely distributed, and the development generally direct. With an increase of heat at the equator, there would be a great development of new genera and species having pelagic larval stages within the tropics, while polar organisms would evolve much more slowly. Bathymetrical Distribution of the Benthos In discussing briefly the distribution of the benthos, we may base our remarks on the results of the Challenger expedition, 
deduced from dredgings and trawlings taken in deep and shallow water in all parts of the world under practically uniform conditions. These results are set forth in the tables on page 182, indicating the number of species and genera of fish and invertebrates, excluding protozoa, recorded in the Challenger reports from the various dredgings and trawling stations arranged in zones of depth. In this table, the number of individual specimens from the shallow water zone in depths less than 100 fathoms is left blank because of the difficulty in arriving at an estimate of the numbers captured. In striking contrast to the abundance of individuals in shallow water is the fact that in deep water, beyond a thousand fathoms, the challenger rarely took more than three or four specimens of any one species in each haul, and the number of species represented by single specimens is quite remarkable. The sixth column on the table shows the large number of genera in relation to the number of species in the halls from the deeper zones. In fact, the ratio of genera to species rises in a most regular manner on proceeding into deeper and deeper water further and further from land. In the deepest zone, the species stand to the genera in the ratio of 5 to 4, while in the shallowest zone, the ratio is 3 to 1. This relation might be explained by supposing that the deep sea was peopled by continuous migrations from the mudline downwards and seawards at many different periods of time and from many different parts of the world. In some instances, the variety of animals brought up in the trawl and dredge from deep waters was much greater than in similar halls in shallow water. This was especially the case in the deep water of the Kogalan region in the Southern Ocean where the Challenger took eight hauls in depths between 1260 and 2600 fathoms, yielding a total of 272 species, or an average of 34 species per haul. At one station, in 1600 fathoms, about 200 individuals belonging to 89 species were procured. This profusion of life in the Southern Ocean may be accounted for by the continental conditions being pushed far from land towards the north by the presence of floating ice, probably also by the greater abundance of food falling to the bottom in this region, where pelagic organisms are frequently killed in large numbers through the mixing of surface currents from different sources and consequently varying greatly in temperature and salinity. It may also be to some extent connected with the migration of benthonic animals towards the tropics. As illustrating the restricted distribution of deep water forms, it may be stated that out of the 272 species taken in the eight unusually productive halls in the Kerguelen regions just mentioned, not one species was common to the eight stations, nor even to seven of the stations. One species was taken at six stations, one species at five stations, two species were common to four stations, 13 to 3 stations, and 40 to 2 stations. At two neighbouring stations about 120 miles apart, 145 species of metazoa were taken, and only 22 species were common to the two stations. When trawlings and dredgings on different kinds of deposits are compared, it is seen that there is a relatively greater abundance of both individuals and species on the terrigenous deposits contiguous to continental land than on the pelagic deposits farther removed from the land. Halls with the trawl are almost always more productive than those with the dredge. The forms recorded from the 25 Challenger halls 
in depths exceeding 2,500 fathoms, referred to in the table, include sponges, antipathids, actinians, corals, hydroids, crinoids, asteroids, ophiurids, echinids, holothurians, annelids, cirripeds, pycnogonids, lamellibranchs, scaphopods, gastropods, bryzoans, brachiopods, and tunicates, in addition to crustaceans and fishes which cannot with certainty be regarded as having lived at the bottom, although it is believed that most of the Macroridae are bottom fishes. The majority of these deep-sea forms live by eating the superficial layers of the deposits and by picking up the small organisms or organic particles falling from the surface, the struggle for food being apparently nearly as severe in the deep as in the shallow waters of the ocean. The idea that a universal and peculiar fauna of great antiquity overspreads the deep ocean floor has not been supported by systematic investigations in deep water. Many deep-sea species are of gigantic size compared with their shallow-water allies. Those living in the very deep water, far from land, present archaic characters, but the relic fauna from remote geological periods, which some naturalists once believed might be captured in the deep sea, has yet to be discovered. It is true that Dyskina and other brachiopods, some of the irregular echinids and some of the salacious sponges, represent ancient groups, but it is probable that among the shore and freshwater forms there are representatives of faunas older than anything to be found in the deep sea. Bipolarity As early as 1847, Sir James Clark Ross noted that several Arctic species occurred also in the Antarctic waters. Charles Darwin, in his Origin of Species, mentions J.D. Dana, J. Richardson, and Joseph Hooker as having observed resemblances between the genera of the two polar regions, and Edward Forbes gives some examples of generic forms within two centres of dispersion, one in each hemisphere, separated by a tropical discontinuity. In the first shallow water dredgings in the southern temperate regions, the challenger naturalists were struck with the resemblance of the fauna to what they were accustomed to dredge off the coasts of Europe in similar depths. C. Wyville Thompson writes, quote, These shallow water dredgings around Tristan de Cunha gave a great amount of material, the fauna being very much of the same character as that of somewhat shallower water in the north. The species seem in many cases to be identical. End quote. Observations similar to those above mentioned form the foundation for the belief in what has been called bipolarity in the distribution of marine organisms. Cetacea Among the Cetacea, two families, Balaenidae and Balaenopteridae, appear to be limited to the cold and temperate seas of both hemispheres, and Sir William Turner states that Balaenae biscayensis of the north and B. australis of the south are identical and not present in the intermediate tropical zone. Carnivora. Among the eared seals, allied species are found in the Antarctic and in the North Pacific, but not in tropical waters. In the Atlantic, however, no eared seals occur in the Northern Hemisphere. Fishes. A.C. Gunter states that the most striking character of the shore fish fauna of the Southern Temperate Zone is the reappearance of types inhabiting the corresponding latitudes of the Northern Hemisphere 
and not found in the intervening tropical zone, and he mentions 11 species and 29 genera as illustrating this character. The Salmonidae are represented in the southern hemisphere by the freshwater family Haplochitonidae, and the Dalliidae by the Galaxiidae. Lysoides is represented in the southern as well as in the northern hemisphere, and Gunther thinks that the reappearance of so specialised a genus in the Antarctic is remarkable. Stomius boa and Halosauropsis macrochere are apparently bipolar forms. Tunicates H. Lohmann remarks on the striking relationship between Arctic and Antarctic forms of appendicularians as compared with the relationship between polar forms and those of the tropics. At both poles, there are closely related species of the genus Oikiplura, and one identical species of the genus Fritillaria, F. borealis. Echinoderms. Yalmar Thiel writes that the shallow water Holothurioideae of the far north and far south possess much the same features, and the distinguishing characters are often inconsiderably and possibly not of specific value. Elpidae glacialis, common in the North Atlantic and Arctic Oceans, was taken by the Challenger south of Australia. Euphronides depressor is also bipolar, and Edmund Perrier says that Solus squamatus is present both in the northern and in the southern regions, while Clement Vaney says the Antarctic species Solus segregatus is quite distinct. Alexander Agassiz was unable to distinguish the specimens of Echinocardium flavensens collected at the Cape of Good Hope from the northern ones, and Echinus norvegicus is apparently bipolar. Stichaster, Lofaster, and Cibrella among the asteroids appear to be bipolar, as well as Pontastaphorsipatus and Diataster exilus, and Ophioglypha bullata, Ophioctens hastatum, and Ophiurnus valincula, among the Ophiurids. Mortensen says that among littoral echinids, there is no single bipolar species, nor even a bipolar genus. Bryozoa. Edith M. Pratt considers Biania magellanica and Cellopora postulata bipolar species, as is also the gigantic form Kinetoscius sciathus. Mollusca. George Pfeffer states that there are numerous bipolar species among the mollusks, and W. E. Hoyle refers to the genus Batiteuthis, dredged by the Challenger in the Southern Ocean and recorded by A. E. Verrill from the North Atlantic. The pteropods Limachina retroversa and L. helicina have already been mentioned. Pantopoda. Carl Mobius says there are no bipolar species of Pantopoda, but Willie Kuchenthal points out that most species of the Southern Ocean are no more distinct from the Northern Atlantic species than the Northern Atlantic species of the same genus differ from one another. Crustacea J.R. Henderson states that throughout the entire range of Crustacea, there is no better illustration of bipolarity than that furnished by the Lithodidae. Munidopsis antonii is recorded from the Southern Ocean and the Southeast Pacific, as well as from the northwest coast of Africa. Palaemon squilla of the North Sea closely approximates to P. affinis, 
though their habitats are the antipodes of each other. The genus Krangen appears to be bipolar. Lophogaster typicus, Boreomyces skyphops, and Ambliops crozetii are also bipolar, and C. Zimmer states that all the genera of the schizopods of the south temperate and cold zones, except two, are represented in the north. Amongst the Cumatia, Zimmer says there are six or seven bipolar genera. Darcy W. Thompson says there are no bipolar isopods or amphipods, while Pfeffer maintains that numerous species amongst the amphipods are bipolar, like Uretinis grillus, Lycianassa magellanica. According to W. Weltner, the Syruped Balanus porcatus is bipolar. W. Geisbrecht enumerates six bipolar copepods, and G. S. Brady records Harpactisus fulvus from Europe and Kogalin, remarking that Kogalin is the locality which, of all others, has shown in its entomostracal fauna a close resemblance to that of Europe. Calanus finmarchicus, so common in the far north, occurs also in the Antarctic, and the closely related C. hyperboreus is found near the Canaries and also near the Australian coasts. Worms. The nematine, Carinoma, is bipolar, as also the littoral annelid, Terribilides stromi. E. Erlers says that the Magellan coasts have 21 species of polychaetes, which belong to the northern hemisphere, including Nephthys longicetosa, Glycera americana, Scolacalapus vulgaris, Arnicola assimilis, and Notomastus aterisius. And Pratt gives about 14 bipolar species. Amongst the Graphiria, Priapulus cordatus, Fasculosoma marginataceum are bipolar. Two other southern species of Gephyria have near relatives in the north, while of the southern genus Echiurus, three species are arctic. The pelagic chitognath, Sagitta, Cronia, Hamata, characteristic of the Norwegian sea, is also known from the far south. Anthozoa. The species of the genus Alcyonium are inhabitants of the temperate regions of all the three oceans. Of the deep-sea Alcyonaria, the subgenus Serratocolon of the genus Xenia is bipolar, and so is the Panachulid Umbulella encrinus. Several genera of the Actinaria, e.g. Bunodes, Edwardsia, Sagatia, are bipolar. Medusa Otto Maas says that among the Medusa, a number of genera found in the Arctic and Antarctic have no representatives in intermediate regions, and there is a striking similarity in the character of the forms of the two regions. The siphonophore, Diphes arctica, is bipolar. Hydroids G. J. Allman states that no less than three British species of hydroids occur in both the northern and southern regions. Perisophonia follicular is taken at the Azores and in the Australian region. The northern Grammaria is represented by three species from a comparatively narrow zone of southern latitude. Sertularia opiculata is bipolar, and so is Obelia juniculata. 
a British hydroid taken in the vicinity of Kerguelen and the Falkland Islands. Clemens Houtlaub gives 17 bipolar species of hydroids. Of the genera of the subantarctic, all except three are represented in the Arctic. Sponges Thenia grayi from the South Australian region much resembles Thenia muricata of the Arctic regions. Phytoplankton H. H. Gran states that of the 17 species of Arctic Ocean diatoms, eight occur also in the Antarctic and are wanting in the intermediate regions. In a private letter, Gran writes that it is very difficult to decide from preserved material whether the Antarctic Phaeocystis is identical with the Arctic Phaeocystis pauchetti. There may be small differences to be detected only by carefully examining fresh samples. He says further that it is very interesting to see from the abundant material now available how some species, both of peritoneans and diatoms, are preserved in the Arctic and in the Antarctic by very similar but not quite identical forms. From the foregoing observations it appears that 1. Species from the far north and far south, which some naturalists consider identical, are regarded by others as quite distinct even though the differences are slight. 2. Some authors look upon bipolarity as limited to identical species, while others apply the term to genera, families and orders. 3. Some naturalists consider that there is a direct interchange of the so-called bipolar species by way of the cold deep waters of the tropics, or along the western coasts of continents where the temperature is lowered by cold currents and by upwelling. 4. Some authors hold that, as there is a bipolarity in the chemical and physical conditions of the Arctic and Antarctic seas, these similar conditions give rise to what are called vicarious or parallel forms through convergence. End of section 16. Read by Luke Hamilton, Hobart, August 2022.